Howdy folks, welcome to our podcast, American Cowboy in New Zealand. This is Ben Longwell with True West Horsemanship. We're glad you're here. Join us as we share stories and adventures and interview extraordinary men and women in the equine and ranching industries to gain insight into horsemanship and life itself. It is our mission to help people and their horses better understand one another and achieve together that which they cannot do individually. Thanks for riding along with us. Hey there, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is part one of my conversation with Jeremiah Watt. We got into a great part of his his history and and lots of stories and stuff, so make sure you tune into part two as well and uh, enjoy. Well, uh, Jeremiah, thank you so much for jumping on today and making time for this. I've been looking forward to catching up with you for quite some time. And, you know, um, of course, I've, I've been aware of, of you and your work, your, your bit in spur making and saddle making and, and just the amazing craftsmanship there. We were actually privileged, for those of you who don't know who are listening, we were actually privileged to work with Jeremiah and bring in some of his gear down here into New Zealand quite a number of years ago. We used to import a lot of Western and Vaquero style gear down into New Zealand here. And he was one of the makers and craftsmen that we worked with, and it was always a pleasure so, uh, yeah, without further ado, Jeremiah, thank you so much for being here and making the time to visit with me today. Well, I appreciate it, Ben. It's always good to visit with somebody from way down under. <laughs> you know, we, we get to see each other. We get to see each other through Instagram and whatnot, but we don't really get sort of a face-to-face in-person visit like we're going to have today. So thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Maybe for those um, who aren't familiar with with you or your work, would you like to give us just a little background on on uh, where you grew up and sort of how horses or or the Western industry played a part in in your earlier years? Okay, I'll give it the sh- the shortest version I know how. <laughs> <clears throat> I grew up in Ontario, Canada. My wife uh, is from Manitoba, Canada, and we both came down here course married and came down here in 1985 I think it was might have been 84 I can't remember for sure anyways as a kid uh, we were in northwestern Ontario which is very clearly defined politically from being down eastern Ontario just in case you didn't know that there was a political division there so we're northwestern Ontario and everybody in our family there's four boys in our family we all horse showed And the horse show thing only holds for so long. I mean, you can only Western pleasure and egg and spoon for so many years and you got to get on to something more exciting like bucking horses or something. So anyways, my wife's family from Manitoba, they all horse showed and that's where we first met. And because we were involved with horse show, we ended up being mutually involved in rodeo and that brought the two families together. I say this because this is not an Arkansas relationship. This is not an Appalachian relationship. This is a Manitoba <laughs> relationship. Two brothers married two sisters and away we went. Okay. So <clears throat> anyways, um, that is where the horses worked into the thing. Of course, my wife uh, was crazy about barrel racing. Uh, we did, after we married, we sought psychiatric counseling. She's not so crazy about it now. We're, we're fixed there. <laughs> I'm sorry if there's any barrel racers listening. I'm just giving my wife a hard time. Anyways, um, so <clears throat> I'm not the kind of a guy who liked school. I love learning. I just School seemed like a, a total waste of time to me. A whole bunch of kids dinking around in the corner doing things they shouldn't and not getting things done that they should. And then you got to drag homework and all that nonsense home. So fast forward, I hate going to school. I'm not going to spend my time in school. I became a logger. I was a a logger for four years. But all the time that I'm doing that, I'm thinking, of course, about my girlfriend. But what am I going to do to keep me around horses? (laughs) Which would keep me around my girlfriend, to be honest with you. That's how it worked. So... (laughs) I like I like working with my hands. I like things that are artistic. I like things that require thought and skill and and uh, all of those attributes that feed. I think feed the human heart. Okay, maybe it doesn't feed the wallet, but it does 
feed the internal spirit of a person. I think that's what God wants us to do. So anyways, I decided I would go to saddle making school. And when I went, my oldest brother, who was in the same logging camp that I was in, uh, he decided he was going to go to saddle making school as well. So we both went to school in Texas and uh, went to the saddle making school. When uh, my brother left first and he went to work for Capriola's, a pretty famous shop over in northern Nevada. <clears throat> and he was there for quite a bit of time. I myself decided to drive around and find a shop to go to work in. I, I knew I wanted to apprentice somewhere. I just wasn't too sure where. So I thought if I fill a truck full of gas and drive around, I'll find the one that I want to work in. That really didn't work out for the next four, four and a half months. Honestly, I won't mention the guy's names, but I went to one saddle shop. I got hired and I was there for about three hours and I left. And I just, in visiting, the guy was a nice enough guy. I just realized I was going to be doing all repair work. I'm not going to build new saddles. It's going to take me forever to become the saddle maker that I thought I wanted to be. I went to another shop and I got hired on and I was there for half a day. This sounds terrible on my part, but the guy who hired me, his son was there. And I thought, good Lord, if I got to put up with this guy all day, I'm going to go crazy. So I just packed up my stuff and left. So anyways, <clears throat> we traveled around and I ended up being down in Elko, Nevada, uh, where my brother was working. And I was hoping I could get a job at this Capriola saddle shop, but that didn't actually work out. What I did not know in the meantime is my brother's wife back in Canada was pregnant with their first baby and he was leaving to go home for the birth of his first child. I didn't know that until I got there. Actually, I didn't know it till the day after I got there. But anyways, so from there, I headed, I had a opportunity to go work for, a, by now I'm getting pretty broke. I mean, I'm getting down to where we're eating pretty much a cup of noodles a day and you eat the noodles the first day and the cup the second day. It's kind of that bad. So anyways, <laughs> I had an opportunity to go to uh, California and do some strictly repair work, which I said I'd never do. But I'm thinking I'm so broke, I'm going to go do it. Well, my brother was living with a fellow whose name is Jean-Pierre Pedrini in America. We all know him now as Pedro Pedrini. He's an absolutely wonderful guy and a fantastic saddle maker. The only bad part is he's French. No, I'm kidding. He's a good guy all the way around. <laughs> So Pedro wanted a ride from Elko over to Winnemucca, which is like a four-hour drive or three-hour drive, whatever, on my way over to California. I thought, well, hell, that can't hurt. I can put him in the back. If I was nice, I put him in the front with me. So I took him over to Winnemucca. In cowboy jargon, we got to BS and back and forth and talking about making saddles and all that kind of stuff. Pedro was heading back to France and uh, had been at Capriola's for, I don't know, nine months or 10 months, whatever it was. I can't remember. <clears throat> Anyways, he was heading back to France. And he, we all talked about, you know, what, what kind of a shop you need to be in. You need to be in a shop where they give you saddle after saddle after saddle. So I decided right there, I'm not going to California and do repair work. I need to find a shop. So... We turned, went north out of Winnemucca, and Pedro was wanting to go visit with uh, Jack Shepard, who was alive at the time, and a very prolific braider, very good one. Uh, I would describe him as a, a commercial braider. Done excellent work, but Jack was out there like it was a Walmart job. He was faithful every day at 8 o'clock, quit at 5 o'clock, and turn out so many hackamores a day and whatever. Real nice guy. So we stopped visit with Jack and carried on north and driving around, went to Pendleton to see Sevier's and ended up going north through a little town called Milton Freewater. And I'm driving along. I'm not paying attention except to you know make sure I don't drive into the truck in front of me or coming by me or whatever. And the Frenchman goes nuts. 
Oh, Jeremiah, you got to stop. Stop the truck. Stop the truck. Jeremiah, Jeremiah. I'm thinking, what the heck? He's got to go to the bathroom or something. Here. He said, turn the truck around. I said, what for? He said, back there is uh, Cliff Ketchum. They got Cliff Ketchum belts. And I'm thinking, a belt? What the heck do you want to go see a belt for? I'm, I'm not interested in this deal. So we turn the truck around, go back, and it's a little rodeo shop. And they have a little sign. I swear to God, it's like 18 inches by 10 inches. The little wee thing says, handmade Cliff Ketchum belts. I don't even know how the Frenchman seen it, but he did see it. Anyways, so we go into the shop and they mostly build, like I said, rodeo equipment. We asked him about Cliff catching belts. Yeah, yeah, we sell them, but he's not here. He lives down the road four miles and turn at the post with the turtle stuck on top from the last duty to put the turtle up there and then go off to the left about three quarters of a mile over a bridge in the first house on the right. We follow these directions, go down there to where they told us. And sure enough, it's Cliff Ketchum. Wonderful fellow, had a great visit. Well, while I'm there, I'm telling him, hey, you know, I, I want to find a place I can get into a saddle shop and build some nice saddles, right? He says, I, I know just a guy you should contact. His name is Chuck Storms up in Canada. Now, this is where I have to stop. <laughs> because I said to I said to Cliff, I said, no, no, no. I need to stay in America where the good saddle makers are. <laughs> Little did I know. <laughs> Little did I know how good Chuck was. <laughs> I just heard he was from Canada. I can't be good. I got to stay in USA. <laughs> so anyways, he made the call the next day on my behalf, talked to Chuck. Of course, Pedro and I were already on the road traveling. Now we're heading back to the east over towards Montana where Pedro is going to find himself a way to get to, to Chicago where he's going to fly home from. So anyways, we're heading back to the east. And uh, I call Chuck in Canada. I, I talked to Cliff and Cliff said, call Chuck. So I did and uh, ended up going up to Chuck's and staying with Chuck for almost eight years, not quite eight years, uh, closer to eight and seven. But anyways, was a wonderful, wonderful place to apprentice. We had, I had, I was the only guy there. I mean, other than Chuck, I was the only guy there. And I just had one saddle after another. Uh, I couldn't have asked for a better place nor person to go to work for. So my wife finished up university at Calgary uh, to become an accountant. And of course, we grew up on the family farm. Uh, I don't think this woman has wore pantyhose but eight times in her life, and it bothered her all 17 times. So she got a job after university downtown at, uh, at that time, one of the big eight uh, uh, accounting firms. Coopers and Librand is the name of the company. They, they were big. She ride the fast train down through town and you shuffle files all day and say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and bring somebody coffee when they tell you. And she's on the route to becoming a accountant. And that was what she set her goal on or set her heart towards. Anyways, I think that lasted, I don't know, I'm going to say six months. It might have been five and a half. Five and, a half. and she come home one night and she was looking like a freshly kicked dog. She is kind of like, oh, not too happy here. What's going on, mom? What's happened? So she said, well, I quit my job today. I said, Really? quit at Cooper's and Library. What are you going to do now? She said, well, I already called up a friend of ours who ran the polo club and I went to work for the polo club. I'm going to pony horses and do the groundskeeping because <laughs> it's outside and I don't have to wear patty hose. So life was perfect after that. <laughs> so <clears throat> that was sort of the beginning of our coming to the, to the States when you are rodeoing, I don't care what event, um, the way that you use gear really isn't um, applicable to everyday ranch life. I mean, it's okay. just not how you handle cattle. I'm not saying one's bad. I'm just saying it's not how you handle cattle. Uh, it's not the kind of uh, manicured arena that you're in. You're out there with drag timber and all kinds of stuff. Your horses having a jump over and you're riding, really, you're riding horses that are just one day away from being in somebody's bowl of soup in France too. Uh, so 
you have all those things to contend with. And Colleen and I, my wife, had already decided when we're ready to go, we're going to go to the States and at least work on a couple of ranches to get sort of a, a realistic feel for what this gear goes through and how hard is it actually used. So the goal from the very beginning was to, when we go to the States, they're going to be wagon outfits where you don't have a, you know, a, a saddle rack to put your saddle on every night. And you've got a war bag full of a couple bridles and, you know, other stuff, some trade gear, uh, all that kind of stuff. A little, we felt a little more uh, hardcore, realistic, whatever you want to call it. So yeah. that's what we've done. Uh, we got a chance to work on five outfits that at that time all pulled wagons out. Uh, I feel very fortunate that somebody was dumb enough to let me on the crew, <laughs> but they did. We lived through it. We didn't kill anybody, didn't kill any horses, and lots was learned. I think we had a very, uh, a very realistic look at what that side of life looks like, at least for our gear. This is how it gets used. This is how the horses are on, on average. This is what they look like, what kind of backs you deal with, uh, ages yeah. of horses, and actually how broke are horses out there, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. So we've done that for about five years. And in the end of the fifth year, we, were, we moved over to Nevada and actually opened our first saddle shop after we had left Chuck's. Uh, and had our gear together and, and opened our first saddle shop there in Nevada. Wow. So um, sort of the mid-80s when you first came down and then you went ended up going back up to Canada for nearly eight years. And so it would have been sort of the early to mid-90s when you were uh, cowboying and going out with the wagons. Where were, where were those outfits located mostly, Jeremiah? Uh, no, when I when I went to when I went to Texas to school, that was 1976. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, and then we toured around here in the states a little bit, trying to find a job. Ended up going back to Calgary. Spent seven years and I think eight months or nine months with Chuck, and then we left there uh, as friends. Uh, still greatly appreciate the fellow. And then 1984 or five, late 84, early 85, we came down to the States. We went to the Padlock first, uh, only because it's the first big ranch that I had read about in Western Horseman still pulled a wagon out. So we decided on that one first. Yeah. Uh, praise the Lord. Thank you, the Western Horseman. Uh, and then from, from there, it's kind of a, a humorous story, but this is the truth. Um, so we go to the padlock and get hired, but they don't need you there. They didn't need me at the north end uh, out of Harden. Uh, little OW is what they call it. Cleve Redding was going to be my, my, my boss, the cow boss up there. So they told us, we don't need you for two weeks, Jeremiah. Go do whatever you want, but we don't need you around here. I said, okay. So Jordan Belly Ranch Rodeo was going on. So we load up. We have a trailer that affectionately became known across the West as a septic tank because it's a little, <laughs> a little round <laughs> fiberglass, uh, looks like a septic tank uh, trailer. That's what we lived in for pretty much the whole time that we were rolling around. <clears throat> Anyways, so we went to Jordan Valley and we got there early, like three days or so early. I have a pretty good name, a pretty good memory for names and faces. Like I know yours is, is Bob, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, anyways, Mom and I are sitting in our little trailer. <clears throat> she had made some some chili, and we're sitting there, and it's about to pour down rain. I mean, you can see the clouds are just getting as black as when the four horsemen are coming. So, we're sitting there, and this guy walks by the trailer we've seen the truck pull in and this guy gets out and he's definitely got a very southwest texas creased hat 
So he walks by the trailer and I'm thinking, oh, dang, somebody from Texas showed up. I couldn't see the truck plates. I could just see the pickup. So he walks by and I kind of registered my little pea brain. And then a couple of minutes go by and this woman walks by. I told Colleen, I said, well, hell, that's, that's Barney Nelson right there. No. I said, yes, it is. So I opened the door in my little septic tank and said, hey, Barney. And she turned around and says, yes, can I help you? I said, well, I just want to say hello. I said, I've seen your book. She had just brought a book out like 1983 or four, and we had it at the house. So I had seen her picture. And of course, her husband was the first guy that went by, Joel. So anyways, we had a grand visit. They come into the trailer. So now there's four of us in there. And a couple minutes go by, and we're all sitting there BSing. And this guy walks by, and I thought to myself, hell, that's Elmer Miller. So... <clears throat> When I was making uh, stuff back in Canada, there was, there's, there's no YouTube, there's no DVDs, there's no uh, videos out, there's no books out. Um, you still had to take pictures with a camera that made a clicking sound, and then you roll out this big long tape, and you take it down to the drugstore, and they can bring you back pictures in three weeks. It was that kind of a deal, right? So yeah. that's how I got started making bits, is I would build a bit photograph it and then I would take all the pictures and I get duplicates and triplicates sometimes of the better ones and I'd send them in the mail you know you gotta lick that little thing that has a bad president on the front of it and you put it on the top of the envelope and mail it to somebody yeah yeah <laughs> I guess I we don't have, we don't have his postage stamp yet we're not sure which side of that one to lick but anyways so <clears throat> we would send all those all those letters and Elmer was one of the guys who I would send letters to. So I kind of knew him from back and forth from that by talking to him. And in one letter, he exchanged a picture of himself holding a bit. So I knew what he looked like by the face. Of the picture. So sure enough, Elmer Miller, his wife, and another person who was a helper in the shop, they come into the, to the truck or into the camper. And we're all sharing smaller amounts of chili as we go, right? Because we start <laughs> off with a pot for two. <laughs> now, the last guy got more than one bean. But so the next guy that came by is Forrest Fretwell. <clears throat> and he's a bit maker. Now, I didn't know him at all. But he come walking by and heard us talking in a camper and the doors open and we're laughing and BSing and whatever. And he kind of pokes his head in because he's from there. And, hey, what's going on in here? We're not supposed to be partying yet. So we visit with them, and I tell them who I am and Joel and Barney and whatever. And so that's how I ended up meeting Forrest Fretwell. So that all took place before I went over to the padlock to go to work. So now we'll go back to the padlock because the wagon's rolling out. I go work at the north end of Cleve. And it all went fine. It was, it was all uh, tent camp and wagons and all that kind of stuff. And I lived through it. Um, yeah, there were probably days I looked like a total idiot, but that's all right. Nobody had a camera out there. so And no, no smartphones at the time, so they couldn't record it, eh? Lucky. <clears throat> Anyways, <laughs> so we, we get all done with all the wagon work. <clears throat> Cleve, the guy I was working for, he says, would you and Colleen be interested in staying on and help us? move the bowls from the north end, move them down to what they call the Connolly, and they put the bowls together down to Connolly, and it takes, I don't know, a week or whatever whatever it was. said, yeah, and he said, you know, when, when the crew leaves, and Colleen, Colleen can get horseback with you, and she can help you, and I said, hey, perfect. So anyways, it was one evening. We are sitting at Cleves uh, eating in the house, and there's, you know, the whole the crew that was remaining stayed, and we're all eating, and uh, the phone rings, and Cleve, of course, it's his house, he picks it up, and <laughs> talking to the guy, and it's kind of a uh, secretive, yeah, yeah, okay, uh-huh, yeah, no, he's here, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, no, no, that's uh, yeah, all right, yeah, no, he's fine, no, yeah, I'm thinking, eh, this is a weird conversation, right? So, anyways, Cleve stops me when I'm about to take another bowl of spaghetti, and he says, there's a guy on the phone wants to talk to you. I said, okay. So I'm thinking somebody from back home. But who it was was Joel Nelson down at the 06 in Texas. 
And he had talked to Cleve, asked me if I was a certified idiot or what was the deal, right? <laughs> How did I do? Uh, did I shoot anybody while I was in camp or anything like that? Chase somebody with an ax or something? So anyway, since I passed muster, uh, then he asked us to come down to go to work at the Fall Works, they call it, at the 06 in Texas, out of Alpine, actually kind of halfway between Alpine and Fort Davis, Texas. So <clears throat> that's where we got down at the padlock and we puttered around and went and seen things and visited people and bitten spur makers and saddle makers. And ended up going down there to work, worked at the 06, done their works there. When I was learning to make bits and spurs, one of the fellows who I started writing to was Greg Darnell, who's a bit maker. He now lives in Texas. But at the time when the Western Horseman wrote the article about him, he was living in Arizona. So my first letters or correspondence were with, with, with uh, uh, Greg when he lived in Arizona. Well, then he moved to Texas. So we had become pretty good friends, at least through the mail, having never met the guy, had no idea what he looked like. Anyways, when we got done at the, uh, at the 06, before... We left. I got a call from a guy by the name of Dale Harwood, who's a saddle maker. Uh, he lives in Shelley, Idaho. Okay, so Dale had got a call from. There was a group of. Uh, I'm going to call them museum directors, and artists, who were going to put on the very first kind of combination. Fine art, like you hang on a wall, whether it be bronzes or paintings or whatever, and gear, you know, saddles and bits and spurs. And I think there was boots and belt buckles and that kind of stuff at the, at the first show. And that was in Coconino, Arizona. So <clears throat> Dale had got a call because he's well-known. Joe Beeler was one of the primary uh, instigators of this whole affair and he invited Dale and then he told Dale, Hey, if you know anybody who does nice work, you know, help us out and put the word out and call, tell them to give us a call. So Dale called me before I left, um, the Oh six right. said, Hey, there's this big show coming up. Uh, would you be interested in building something to take to it? And I said to Dale, I said, well, I'd love to, but I don't have anywhere to do it. I mean, literally, I'm living out of my little septic tank trailer. We had stopped. He's seen my trailer. And uh, I said, I don't have any, anywhere to do it. He said, well, why don't you come and stay up here and build one? I said, if, if the invitation is open, I'm there. All you got to do is say, yes, it's fine with you and your wife, and I'll park my trailer out behind your workshop and stay out of your way, and I'll build a saddle in your shop because you had extra bench sitting there. So that is how that happened. Wow. <clears throat> so before I leave the 06, I call my friend Greg Darnell and I visit with Greg and I say, hey, I'm heading towards Idaho, but can I stop off and stay with you for a while? I mean, see what happens. So when I got there, we stopped and had a visit and I told him, I said, I'd like to build some stuff, but I, I feel awkward saying I'd like to build some stuff. So here's what I have to offer you. I'll trade you. Half a day, I'll do whatever you want. I don't care if it's sweep floors, clean toilets, build bits. I don't care what it is. I'll do a half a day's work for you in exchange for being able to work in your shop for the other half of the day. Okay? And he said, hey, fine. You can have the mornings or afternoons. Pick whichever one you want. I said, okay, <clears throat> I'll take the mornings. I'll work for you. And uh, you tell me what time you want everybody to start. And he said, we start at seven. I said, that's fine. So I worked for till one o'clock. And then after one o'clock, I was in the shop and his employees are still in there. And Greg's in there working on his stuff. But at that point, I'm free to now work on some things that I want to build so I could take them to this Coconino show. So <clears throat> I built the bits that I took to Coconino at Greg's. Then I left there. I think we were there for, I'm going to say two months. Might have been a little more. Uh, anyways, from there, we drove over and went to Idaho. And I, we parked our trailer at Dale and Karen's up in Shelley. So I first had to go to the tree shop and build trees. I built two. 
which he said I could. So I built two and got them rawhide and dried. And now it's time to build a saddle. So I built one saddle <coughs> that was specifically for the show. And I built all the silver, the conchos, the dapping dies, the button dies, all that kind of stuff for it. Dale was kind of enthused because he hadn't built any of that kind of stuff. Well, he had done silver, but he hadn't built any dapping dies and all that kind of stuff. So we built some of that together and he thought that was good. So that was all fine. I built that saddle and then he asked me, what am I going to do with that second tree? And I said, well, if I have time, I'm going to build my wife another saddle. When I left Canada, I had seven saddles finished in the back of my truck. And we were selling those as we went to fund our journey. And I had built my wife a swell fork, double rig outfit, a nice one, but it was a swell fork. And I wanted to build her a, a slick fork, a wade. Mine was a wade and I wanted to build her a wade. Mine was a single rig five eighths. And I was going to build her a single rig uh, three quarter uh, wade. And Dale said, fine, have at it. Go, go ahead for it. So we got the second saddle done, loaded everything into the truck and headed for Coconino. Took our saddle into the show and I had three bits in the show as well as a saddle. Uh, Ray Hunt ended up buying the saddle that I had at the first Coconino show. And I am wow. I'm absolutely sure that Dale and Karen had something to do with that. I'm not, I mean, I can't prove it, but since they were such good friends, you know, Ray always rode uh, Dale's saddles. Yeah. And uh, ended, up, ended up he bought that, that Wade saddle. And amazingly enough, I think I could be wrong here, but I think that saddle ended up going to uh, a guy by the name who is a very good friend of Ray's. Uh, I think his name is Jim Gersio and Jim owns the OW ranch that Buck Branneman's daughter, Rietta and her husband now uh, run. I think, yeah, I think that's where that, Hunt saddle ended up going. I'll be. <clears throat> I never been able to follow it up that much after Ray passed on. But anyways, so while we are at the Coconino, Joel and Barney come over to see this whole affair because Barney's parents both live in Arizona. So that was a, two two reasons to go over there. So. While they're there, Joel gets me in Nevada or me and uh, Colleen aside and he says, hey, we have some friends that are working a brand new wagon outfit in Colorado and Utah and they're looking for married couples and they don't want single men. They want married couples. Would you guys be interested? I said, heck yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Heck yeah. So we call this fellow. I have to be careful. I will finish this story now. <laughs> so <laughs> we call this guy. I'd never met him. That's not quite true. Uh, I got to think of the guy's name. While we were at the uh, 06 in Texas, we went to the bar one night in Fort Davis. And on the wall were these pictures that were painted. Um, I got to think of the guy's name now. He's a, a cowboy artist of America. Grant, I think is his first name. I'll think of his name. Anyways, there is one scene where you're looking kind of underneath the, the fly off the back of the chuck wagon. And there is one cowboy sitting on a bedroll, drinking a cup of coffee and another cowboy leaning against the bedroll with his kind of left leg stuck out. and He's drinking a cup of coffee in it. Those two guys, I seen their picture and they're painted very realistic. Well, those two guys are the guys that are running the wagon. They're starting a new wagon out of Colorado. Okay. Albert. And they had been down, cowboyed around the 06 area and kind of knew everybody. So that's why they called Joel. If you know anybody, married couple, let me know. So we go to Colorado uh, on the south side of Grand Junction, Colorado. And up on top of what they call Pinion Mesa, right out to the end, actually, actually crossed the state line into Utah, the the headquarters like half a mile into Utah. But anyways, so that's where the headquarters were. And it was a about a 10 month at a time is how long the wagon was out. 
So we would start receiving cattle up at the kind of the middle of the ranch in February and process some cattle and then drive them west, basically, but downhill to the west out into the desert. There is a big triangle of, of ground. The Colorado River is on your north side and the Little Dolores is on your south side. And it's just a big open, not, nothing out there, triangle of desert and grass and all that kind of stuff. So our wagon journey would take us from the middle of the ranch up in the center alt, uh, altitude down into the, to the desert trail and cattle around. Our, the manager of the ranch was a, uh, a holistic ranch manager, okay? Which at first, I'm, I'm totally changed, but at first for me, calling myself holistic was like drinking a cup of vinegar, okay? <clears throat> but I didn't understand what our actual job was. Right. Our job, raise cattle and sell beef, but to put as many footprints on the ground as we can to graze everything once, but not twice. Right. So we were horseback all the time and moving our cattle. They had a, the whole dang desert to move around in and get away from us on or in. But our job was to keep them gathered up, move them as a herd, and graze the whole thing, squash brush, run over top of sagebrush, right? Yeah. You know, because down there, right. sagebrush is as high as your hat when you're horseback. And your job is to excite the cattle and mash the crap out of it and let some grass grow at the base. Okay. So it turned into, once I kind of understood what we're going to be doing, it turned into a lot more fun. That country is hugely deficient in copper. So we were always, always, always roping cattle because they were always either eyes or feet that we were doctoring. So <clears throat> we roped the hell out of cattle when we were there, which was good practice for everybody. And we would take them from the desert, drive them all the way up to the top, what they call the 2V, and that's at around 10,000 feet. And from there, we'd load them on cattle trailers and they would get hauled out at that point. So our first year there, we were working for Ron and, and uh, the, other, the other, Bill uh, Dugan was the other fellow. Bill Dugan passed away, unfortunately. Not long after we were there, Bill mysteriously got bucked off of an old horse that you could put your Aunt Mabel on. I don't, I don't have any idea why or how he got bucked off, but he got bucked off in a creek and hit his head in the rock and never actually recovered from that point. Uh, anyways, he passed away within a year and a half or so of getting bucked off. So like two years after we seen him and we went up and seen him in the hospital in, in uh, Absorkey, Montana, but he didn't know who we were or nothing. Ron Goddard, unfortunately, just died like six or so months ago. Uh, of some kind of cancer. I'm not sure what kind of cancer, but he was running a big ranch in Southern uh, Florida and uh, the cancer got him there. So anyways, um, from there, the next year, nobody was coming back. Only my wife and I stayed. Right. We got, they, they had bought a new ranch and they wanted to get a set of corrals built. So they hired my wife to work with the welder to build the corrals. And I stayed in our camp that we had no electricity, no running water. And I built two saddles <laughs> with coal oil lamps, wow. straight up coal oil lamps. I'm going to tell you right now, anybody who says that's paradise has never tried to build a saddle with all them shadows all around everything. So, Anyways, it probably looked like Charles, uh, um, Ray Charles cut it out, but I built it with a lamp. So I have that excuse. <laughs> so my wife built corrals, uh, cut pipe and didn't really do much welding, but cut a lot of sucker rod and pipe for the welder. And she had done that before and she didn't have to wear pantyhose to do it. So she was happy. <laughs> <laughs> we stayed on the next year. 
we were the bosses. So when it come time to hire people, uh, we went and found single cowboys because it's very, very difficult to find a married couple who wants to be out, actually out on the wagon for 10 and 11 months. It all sounds so romantic until the third month you're cooking outdoors, all that smoke rolling up in your eyes, and it just looks like you stabbed two sticks in them all day long because they're burning from the smoke all day long. So <laughs> we realized it was pretty difficult to get married couples up there. And we hired single guys, and we ran two wagons again. We hired a cook who went with one wagon, and my wife cooked for our wagon. Uh, we had one extra guy with us and the other wagon was three single guys plus the cook. So we done the same thing to run them down in the, in the desert first. The desert was split by a big rock formation in the middle. So that's why we ran two wagons till we get to the top at the 2V, they call it. And then everybody comes together. And I, I think the first year was like 34. 500 head the second year we were just about 43 or 4400 head so there's lots of cattle to handle and still lots of roping and all that kind of stuff made a trip to arizona and bought a bunch of horses um, off a ranch to the east of uh, elko nevada Um, i think they called it the diamond day i don't know if it's still there or not but anyways bought a bunch of horses 10 of them i guess and we bought some out of Montana. Uh, when we were traveling around, we met Bob Douglas. Bob, at that time, was trading lots of horses. And he's out of Sheridan. So we bought another eight, I think it was eight head of horses off of Bob. So we built up the horse herd, ran two wagons, ran more cattle, and built a few saddles <coughs> in the winter. In the summer, I had a a little leather uh, rinky-dink briefcase that I found at the junk store. And I put, I called it my bit-making shop. I had a jeweler saw and the steel and the saw blades and, you know, all the kind of stuff, files and all that kind of stuff. And I took it with me on the wagon, okay? <clears throat> In the evening, when we get done, if there was any time and enough daylight, I would bring the shoe and stand over. And we had one of them ones that you could, driving the ground with a sledge and then you could shape your shoes on instead of an anvil. So that I would use that as my bench. I would saw on it and I would file on it and all that kind of stuff. I ended up, I made three bridle bits while I was out on the wagon. Wow. And uh, yeah, then we left, we left there and headed for Nevada. Yeah. So that, uh, that outfit was kind of ahead of its time with, holistic management and understanding how to um, stimulate that grass into growing and, and sort of promote soil health and that sort of a thing would have been unusual in those days. Right. Well, you know, Alan Savory is sort of the, I'll call him the grandfather of the theory. Yes, sir. I, I think the practice of holistic management happens in nature if man should not uh, interfere. Yes, sir. We we accuse cattle today of overgrazing when in actual fact, they don't have anywhere else to go. If you offered them an option to go somewhere else to take a bite of grass, they'll gladly walk over the one they just bit 19 times to get the one they haven't bit at all, right? But we don't have that. We don't offer that option. So part of the deal, if we stayed on for the second year, uh, the ranch would send Colleen and I to a Alan Savory ranch management class. Okay. So we went to San Luis Obispo, California in the winter and took a one week, actually it was, I think it was eight days uh, in San Luis Obispo and, you know, kind of got our brain wrapped around what exactly are we trying to get done? Right. And yes, it was, I would describe it as ahead of its time. One of the, when you tell people what you've seen happen in a two-year period, they actually look at you like you just have a rhino horn in the middle of your head. Um, we, we would take, you know, 
500, 1,000 head of cattle, and the, the ground is really sandy there in Colorado. And, of course, in that canyon country, the water comes down there 900 miles an hour, and then it's gone, right? So it washes these deep creek banks, and the hell, it'll be 40, 50 feet tall, and your cattle can't get down in there. So at the lower spots, we would start driving our cattle off and rounding all them creek banks off. Right. And even the second year, we would go through their horseback, and there was bunches of grass getting started on those rounded over cliff banks. Right. <clears throat> the whole canyon, the canyon Colleen and I lived in was from the top end to the bottom. The, the, the last gate above us was 23 miles up the canyon. We're the only ones down there. From our house to the river to the what they call the west water was another six miles. So we had all of that whole canyon to ourselves and horses. We had the horses down there in the wintertime. <clears throat> we, we drove our cattle down that canyon and we deliberately... I'm going to try to find a way to word it. We created pure havoc with them cows. You know, if you just let a cow walk, relax, she's going to watch her. She puts her feet and walk through the countryside. We wanted them to, to think Godzilla was chasing them horseback. Okay. And we want them to step on everything they can, especially that cotton pick and sagebrush. Some of it, you know, is as big around as my coffee cup here. And like I said, it's as tall as your as a person horseback. Yeah. So we mashed the heck out of that sagebrush in that canyon. We brought three different groups of cattle down that canyon. Plus, we had our horses down there in the wintertime. In the wintertime, in the morning, I would get up. I'd gather up my horses. Mom would go in the front. I'd go in the back. and We'd take them on a little tour out through the sagebrush. And we just mash the hell out of the sagebrush as much as we could, yeah. right? In the wintertime, you're not going to affect the grass. You're only going to mash down and break some of that sagebrush down. The second year, that, that canyon almost looked like the front lawn in Buckingham Palace. I'm kidding you not. It looked absolutely <laughs> beautiful compared to the first year. Now, if you hadn't seen both, you, you know, you'd have nothing to compare to. Yeah. So. When I left there, I was 100% convinced this was really smart. Plus, when you get right down to it on a big outfit, it means that you are out there handling your cattle every day. Yeah. Your cattle get better, better to handle. Your horses get more practice handling cattle. And you get to move cows instead of doing something, you know, like repairing a tractor or whatever. I'd way yeah. sooner do that than go repair the tractor. Yeah. <laughs> So from there, then, um, after you got done at the second year there in, in the Colorado, Utah outfit, you said you headed out to Nevada yep. next. Is that right? We did. We went to Nevada and uh, we had met a guy and he told us of this little town called Smith Valley. And there was a house there that could be rented and big enough for a shop. So I have to back up a little bit because... The, the, okay, the, I am the boss. I'm, I'm the cow boss, put it that yeah. way. Yeah. And I made an illegal trip to town to get medicine. Okay. Now, every day, like I said, we had lots of eyes and feet to doctors. So we're at the top of the mountain. We haul out briskets, those cattle that are affected by altitude. They'll get swollen in the brisket, and you got to get them out of there, or they're going to be dead. Yeah, that's right. So we would trailer them, trailer them back down to uh, Grand Junction, which is at, I don't know, 2,500 to 3,000 foot elevation. We're at 10,005 or so where the 2V is. So <clears throat> we have no medicine in camp. And we have quite a few cattle to get roped and doctored. And I had already asked the actual branch manager three times, who pretty much goes to town every day, hey, can you pick us up, you know, some LA 200, whatever. Yeah. Uh, she wasn't around, so we could get ivermectin then. But anyways, <laughs> I'm sorry. I slid that one over your head on you. <laughs> no, I'm tracking with you. So anyways, I got upset one afternoon and I went to town and I bought LA 200 and some other stuff. 
And I bought a box of beer. I confess, okay? Send me to hell in a handbasket if you want. But I bought a box of beer for the Cowboys up in camp. So anyways, I come home and uh, go back to camp. I'm there before dark, right? And I got the medicine. So tomorrow we can actually make a round, gather up some cattle to ship. In the afternoon, we'll make a big circle and start doctoring a bunch of these cattle that do have to get doctored. Yeah. Well, I get home. The boss shows up like half an hour after me, right? When he comes into camp, the cowboys are all having their second beer, which is fine, I thought. But anyways, where'd you guys get the beer? Jeremiah went to town and got it for us, right? They didn't mention Jeremiah went to town (laughs) and got some medicine, whatever. It just was Jeremiah went to town and got some beer. So he says, all right, you guys, Jeremiah and Colleen are fired. So, wow, whatever. Okay, so we got fired. <clears throat> it's not like I'm that relaxed about it, but we did. We got fired. Well, I, I was not um, privy to what happened next because he told Mom and I, pack your bedroll and put it in the truck and head to the house and get your crap packed up down in your camp. You're done. It's okay. So we leave. Well, the whole damn crew quit. I mean, everybody, they all rolled the bedroll, threw it in the back of the ranch pickup, went to the headquarters, got in their trucks, and they left. Yeah. They left that night. They were so mad, right? So Miles, the the ranch manager, I better not mention the name, better cut that part out. Anyways, he passed away too. But anyways, Miles, the next day, shows up down at Colleen and I's camp, which is still on the ranch, right? The camp where we spent the winter. And he comes to the house and he, he is just like all apologetic. And I'm, I'm looking at Colleen thinking, what the heck is going on here? Right. So he says, Hey, you guys interested in staying on for another three weeks? Cause there's all the remnant yet. We're not finished shipping. Plus you got to rewrite all that country and find a remnant before hunting seasons starts. Right. Yeah. Because for any American hunter, a cow with two horns looks just like an elk. So you got to get them the heck. There. So, anyways, <clears throat> he said, "Yeah, yeah, okay." So, um, can we just join the crew up there? He said, "Well, that's the problem. The crew all left yesterday." What? He said, "Yeah, they all quit and left yesterday." Oh man! So, how the heck are Colleen and I supposed to, to get all this stuff done, right? Yeah. So, anyways, we do. We stay for I think it was three weeks, and we get all the uh, cattle gathered. All the remnant found that we can get found. Okay, well, within that, one of the cowboys had become a, a steadfast friend and still is today a steadfast friend and was going back home to an absolutely miserable marriage situation. We had talked about it bunches in, in camp. What a, a terrible, I'm not saying terrible person, they just were not two people should have been together. Okay. So <clears throat> we had talked, you know, if we ever come up with a place where mom and I settle down, you can move in with us. Right. So whatever. Uh, well, that was all conversation. And now he left and he went back to New Mexico. <laughs> so we never thought too much about it. Yeah. So <clears throat> we get our three weeks done and we make some phone calls and talk to the single fellows, the, the the crew and they are all back home and working on different ranches. And we told them kind of how the whole thing went down and, Oh, okay. Okay. So anyways, this one fellow who went to New Mexico, he was in misery. He was ready to jump out the basement window. He was in so much misery. So we told him, Hey, we're moving to Nevada. We're actually going to open our shop. Gonna build some bits and spurs and saddles, and you're welcome to come along if you want. I said, Yeah, I'm there. So he drove back up to Colorado, loaded up his truck, we loaded ours, we hired a neighbor who was a part of the hand crew to load up his one ton truck, and we moved everything to Colorado to uh, Nevada. Went to Smith Valley, rented the house. Gene is the fellow from New Mexico. We were there for I want to say eight months. At about the six-month point, the Elko Cowboy Poetry Gathering is going to go on. So we had been a part of it 
every year. I think it only been twice now. Anyways, so we're going to that. Gene's going to go with us. So Gene comes with us. He's, he's building bits and spurs. Okay. And does a be- still does it, does a beautiful job. <clears throat> he's one of my favorites. Anyways, he, he builds some stuff and takes it over there and sells it and whatever. And we all come back to the house in Smith Valley and we had met another couple, Brian and Patty Newbert. Okay. Maybe you've run into them. Okay. And we had a wonderful visit and they were homeschooling, raising their kids and their Christian family. And Brian's well known in the horse world and part of the Dorrance whole legacy. You know, he grew up around them his whole life and all that kind of stuff. So the Dorrance side of this whole thing is kind of new to me because yes, I, Joel Nelson is very much of a Tom Dor- or a Tom Dorrance and Ray Hunt fan and all that kind of stuff. So I started hearing it there when I was in Colorado, Ron and Bill both had been to several Ray Hunt clinics and they were Ray Hunt fans. So it's not like I was never exposed to it, but it's always sort of a second generation away, so to speak. So we go back to Nevada and go back to building bits and spurs. Brian and Patty call up Newberts and they said, Hey, come on over. And this is like March. Come on over. One of the, uh, have a weekend with us. You know, I forget if it was Easter or whatever it was, come on over and have a long weekend with us. And, you know, we'll get the horseback a little bit and have a visit and all that kind of stuff. Okay, perfect. So mom and I pack up the septic tank, Gene, went back to New Mexico to settle up his divorce with his wife, okay? Or ex, now going to be ex-wife. So he was going to the east and we're going west. So we loaded up our septic tank and headed down the highway. We're inclined to take gravel roads over interstates. It's just more interesting to me. So we're driving a little back roads. We go over to Brian and Patty's on a back road. And this is exactly how it happened. It's about seven o'clock in the morning. We had made a pot of coffee in a little trailer. We slept this back down the road, having a cup of coffee. And we're driving down this little old bumpy California road. (laughs) There were even bumps before Gavin Newsom, but they're just bigger now. So (laughs) we go through this spot where on both sides of the road, there are houses that are painted barn red with white trim. And there's palm trees and a white picket fence in front of both of them, one on each side of the road. And on the, on the, would be the north side, there's an old feedlot. I mean, it's not run down, just an old feedlot, nothing in it. It's just stunningly green. It's as pretty as being anywhere in Ireland. And I said to mom, I said, oh, my God, how would you like to live in this place? Look at this place. It's just pristine, clean, green cows out in the fields and red houses, white trim, and just looks out of a postcard. So we talk about that a little bit and drive on, head into Panoche or head into Picenus and into Hollister and head on out to Los Angeles where Brian and Patty are. And we have a great old time visit with Brian and Patty and all that kind of stuff. And we've got horseback with everybody. <clears throat> Did I lose your connection? No, no, I can see. I can hear you. Oh, okay. okay. So anyways, We get horseback. We kind of know everybody now and we're leaving and it's, I can't remember what time of day it was when we're leaving, but anyways, it's later on in the afternoon and I didn't get a chance to talk to the cow boss of the ranch, Mitt French. And we carry on, come back, heading back towards Nevada and right where this pretty little place was just a half a mile, a mile down the road is a little old bar. Okay. So it's, I always stop and get a beer and move call Mitt and see how he is and whatever. So we, we borrow the phone at the bar because nobody had cell phones then, even the flip kind, we didn't have them back then, right? So anyways, I call Mitt and I have a visit with Mitt, the, the cow boss, and he says, hey, just down the road, like a mile, there's a, a fellow looking for a married couple to move in there and help them with the place. I said, really? Yeah, it's called the Spanish Ranch. Really? The Spanish ranch? Well, give me an idea. Is this big sign? You're going to be able to see it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, just 
you can't miss it. It's beautiful red houses with white trim. It's just, it's a picture perfect place. And the old Ray feedlot is right there. Wow. Hell. We had just went through there, right? So we turn around. I finish my beer, turn around, go down to, to George's and knock on the door. And George comes out. He's a very old fashioned, highly regarded Portuguese California horseman. Okay. I can't say enough good about George. He was a wonderful, wonderful fellow to be around. But I had a flat hat. <laughs> I might as well have been, a, I might as well arrived at a flying saucer. He looked at that hat. He said, what do you want? And I said, well, <clears throat> I just was talking to Mitt French. And Mitt told me that you're looking for somebody to possibly live here and help you or whatever. I'm not even sure exactly what the whole thing. I don't think so. I really don't think so, young fellow. But leave your name and, and a number. And where are you living at? And I told him in, in Nevada. And uh, so anyways, that it really didn't feel very good. What didn't feel very positive. Yeah. So. Mom and I get we head to Nevada. Well, the last day that we were at Brian Patty's, we're gathering a big old piece of country that drops down into this canyon. There's a road in the bottom, and the road is passing right through uh, the ranch that Brian and Patty work on. And then on the other side of that fence is a guy that owns that ranch. Okay. And it's a big ranch as well. So <clears throat> I'm holding up cattle, and this guy comes. I don't know him. I've never met him before, right? I'm first day I've ever been there. So we're, I'm holding cattle, and I'm by the gate, and I'm going to open the gate when this is ready. So I'm having a visit with this guy, and little did I know that this guy is a very good friend of George Rose's on the other ranch. Okay. <laughs> so after I leave George... And I'm back in Nevada working on whatever I'm working on. This guy has no idea that I have been to George's. Right. So he stopped because he's a friend of George. The Bedart brothers is the ranch. And he is going to another ranch that they own. Anyways, he stops to visit with George. And he tells George, hey, I hired a young guy from Nevada. He's a saddle maker, a bit and spur maker. The hell you did? I said, yeah, yeah, I I haven't called him yet, but I, I talked with him over there on, uh, on Los Angeles. He was working for Brian and Patty, day working, and I had a visit with him. He was horseback and holding up a bunch of cattle, and yeah, nice young fella, and he built saddles and bits and spurs. I haven't seen any. I mean, he was riding one of his saddles, and the conversation's going like this, right? Yeah. <laughs> George says, the hell you did. You didn't hire him. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go back to the house and, and call him right now. I've got his number. No, no, you can't. I hired him. And the guy, is, he's totally flummoxed. He has no idea, right? He says, what are you talking about, George? Well, he stopped in here on Sunday evening, and he wanted a job, and I told him the job was his. He's moving in right next door. He goes, okay, whatever. I won't, I won't get into it, right? So anyways, George calls me. He says, okay, young fellow, if you want the job, the job's yours. Come on over. I said, okay, so what, what am I doing, right? And what can I do? All that kind of stuff. We have the conversation. So anyways, we load up the truck and the trailer and a horse trailer we borrow. And Gene moves with us. And he comes over because he came back from New Mexico. So <clears throat> he moves in with us at the ranch <laughs> in California. So we pull into the yard and it's, <clears throat> I don't know, 11 o'clock in the morning or something when we roll in there and. George says, well, back your, back your truck up here. Now, when I tell you this, you're going to think I'm mistreating my wife, and I don't, I, don't, I don't want you to think that. Anyways, he says, back your truck up here, and uh, we'll get the missus stuff out first, and then you guys can have the tomorrow to get your shop's stuff moved in. I said, I think it would be quicker if we just moved the shop. No, take care of the missus first. I said, okay. So we backed the truck up. We jackknifed the trailer. We parked the saddle door. It's a two-horse, it's a four-horse bumper pull trailer with a little saddle compartment in the front. We had everything for the house in there, everything. All of our furniture was that new foldable stuff from Ikea that you can sit and fold it out and put your, they call them cardboard boxes. That's pretty much what we had for furniture. <laughs> so <laughs> we carried it like 
12 boxes into the house, dinner, some plates, some pots and pans, Dutch ovens and whatever. And we're done in about 15 minutes, right? And George is like, well, what, where the hell's all the furniture? I said, George, we ain't packing no furniture. I said, I'm not worried about a chair to sit in. I've got work to do. <laughs> well, hell, you got to take better care than your wife than that. I said, she's plenty taken care of. She's fine. She's, she's, don't worry about her. So we set up our shop. We set up a bit shop, set up our saddle shop and our tree shop. Uh, I had bought all my tree making equipment. Dale had helped me. Uh, I bought all of that when I was in Nevada. So I gathered all that stuff up. And then once we got our shop set up, Dale and Karen came down from Idaho and helped me get everything squared away and set up kind of right. And uh, we were there for, well, actually, after right after I got there, one of the cowboys that worked for Brian and Patty actually was from Canada. And I knew him before I had left Canada, him and his brother. Uh, and Jesse was his name, Jesse Ballantyne. He got, oh yeah, he's a guy who worked for Brian. He got bucked off and hurt, and he wasn't doing too good. He's good now, but he wasn't doing too good there. So Brian called me, said, "Hey, can can you day work like I don't know three, four months for us?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, that's what has to happen." So I went over and I visited with with uh, George, and I told him, and then I had met met kind of grew up under George's tutelage horseback horsemanship wise. And so Mick called in my stead and said, Hey, we could really use a guy if, if uh, it's okay. Colleen can get horseback for you over there. And Jeremiah can get horseback for us. So he agreed and everything was fine. I, I worked for Brian and Patty for whatever that three or four months. Well, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to American Cowboy in New Zealand. If you like this episode, please share and leave your five-star rating or review. Remember, you can find us on social media or our website, truewesthorsemanship.com.